0: All right, let me go ahead and uh, read. We're going to be in the gospel of Matthew today, chapter 9. Let me read this, um, and then I'm going to pray. This is the calling of Matthew. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we we thank you for your word today. Um, I pray that, uh, Spirit, you would just allow us to absorb what you need us to hear. Um, We know that your scripture is, um, God, it's your word for your people. Um, It is meant for us to to read and to understand and talk about in community. Uh, So Father, I pray that you would um, do what only you can do, and that is um, change our hearts, mold us into your image, um, and restore in us uh, what you originally created us to be. God, humans that um, delight in you, and reflect your image for this world to see. So Father, I pray that as we come to this, this, um, this text, um, we would hear from you. God, would you increase and I decrease. Um, now, we pray this in your name, amen. Well, hey, um, I'll say this, total disclaimer. Bryce asked me to preach um, like at the beginning of July and I told Bryce, I said, uh, wonderful, but I'm going to have nothing. Like, I'm going to have no time to prepare anything. I'm going to have no notes, nothing. And he's like, wonderful. I just can't do it. Uh, No one else can. And I said, well, all right, I'll do it. (laughs) So I I don't have any notes. So if you're a note taker, I am so sorry. I know some of you just scribble away because you kind of just process as I talk. I'm sorry, Cheryl's looking at me, because um, I know she's one of those. Uh, I'm sorry, and we're going we're gonna to have a good time getting through the gospel of Matthew. I'm, I'm j- literally, these are just my thoughts. I'm going to spew them out, and they're going to be fantastic, I promise you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, man, the gospel of Matthew, it's one of my favorite gospels, um, because Matthew is writing to a very Jewish context, um, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples, and it's kind of cool. He includes his own story in Scripture. Have you ever thought, like, what would it be like if you had to include your own story into a gospel? I'm like, man, I would want to take up a few pages. I'm a pretty big deal, right? Uh, <laughs> and Matthew writes, like, a few sentences, and then he's like, period. All right, we're going to move on. It's, it's such a, a humble way of doing it, in my mind, um, and so Matthew, he, um, he really is focusing on Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, as uh, the one who comes, as the true David. Um, and throughout Matthew, he is constantly, constantly referring to the Old Testament in a way in which no other gospel does. Like everywhere in the gospel of Matthew is just hyperlinked. Old Testament scripture after Old Testament scripture um, because he's writing to a very Jewish context. In fact, the the gospel of Matthew, um, if you're into this, um, he has a a very big genealogy and it points to how Jesus comes into the line of David. Um, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days um, and it's highlighting and linking to how Jesus is this new Moses who has come to fulfill the Torah. And then Matthew breaks up teachings into five sections um, followed by stories of Jesus that are also broken into really cool things um, in which he asks people to follow him. And they're broken up into five sections because the Torah is broken up into five books. Um, it's a very incredible way in which Matthew is just trying to highlight who Jesus is and exactly what he came here to do. And in the middle of all this, Matthew just writes his little story in, which I, which I absolutely love. Uh, So before I get into this, I want to share with you all a story. This happened um, a few years ago. Actually, it was my last year of leading Young Life in Ohio as a volunteer leader. And there was this kid named Darren. I might have shared a story with you all maybe a year or two ago about this kid Darren. Um, Darren, I don't know if there's ever been a kid like him. I don't know if there ever will be another kid uh, like him either. But Darren was, um, he was a spaz. He was just kind of crazy. Like everything Darren did was wild. Um, like imagine someone just standing up and screaming and then just kind of sitting down. There's no explanation, that's just what Darren did. Um, and so the first time I ever met Darren, it was at one of our Young Life Clubs. Um, and Young Life Club is kind of a place where kids who would never really walk into a church can hear the gospel for, for, like, for the first time. And uh, I remember walking in and my co-leader had invited Darren to come to Young Life Camp or to come to Young Life Club. And we were in kind of this like makeshift barn that was pretty big and it would hold like 20, 30 kids. It was awesome. And uh, Darren, I walk in with a few of my guys that I had just picked up. Uh, some of them were new. Some of them I'd known for a while and I was discipling them. And there's this kid um, who's climbed up into the ceiling of this barn and he's hanging upside down by his legs on a, on a pole. Um, and he's screaming, just screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, who is this kid? Who invited him? Like, and why is he up there? Uh, <laughs> and that was just Darren. Um, it, it just kept getting more exciting after that point. Like one day I took him, um, it was actually after Young Life Club. We had went to uh, this ice cream shop and we were buying buying kids ice cream and kind of having one-on-ones with them. And Darren really wanted Jimmy John's day-old bread. And at this point it's like nine o'clock and I have to take kids home. And so I'm like, Darren, we're we're wrapping up. Like we gotta go. And so everyone's piling into my car and he's like, I want bread. And I'm like, Darren, we're not getting you day-old bread. Like it's nine o'clock get in my car. I've got to take you home. His parents were pretty strict. Um, and so Darren jumps out of my car and I'm like, Darren, I'm, I'm leaving you, dude. Peace out. Like, see you later. And so I started to pull away and there's two lights, um, to get out of this place. And I see Darren like spring into Jimmy John's. Um, and I'm like, all right. And so I start to pull out. And, uh, so I get through a stop sign, I get into a stoplight. I'm at a red light. Um, and all my guys are laughing. They're like, are you really going to leave him? I'm like, I guess, like, I, I don't know. It's his problem at this point. Um, and the, the light turns green and I see a kid sprinting through the parking lot with a day-old bread, just screaming, ah! I was like, what do I do? And so cars are behind me, beeping at me. So I start to pull out. And uh, as I pull out, right, I'm in the fourth lane of traffic, actually fifth, there's a median and then two lanes coming this way. Darren sprints, screaming in between the two cars coming this way as I'm turning and my windows are down, and he literally jumps through the window into my car screaming on top of other kids. And I'm like, Darren, you can't do this. Like, what are you doing? Uh, But that was just Darren, absolutely crazy. Um, And he was just one of those kids that I'm like, I don't even know what's going on in your minds, but like, I'm kind of for you, dude. Like, I kinda kinda wanna hang out just to see what happens. Um, And Darren had some really interesting friends. And I remember, I invited him to Young Life Camp that year. Um, and we were at Saranac Lake, which um, is one of Young Life's most like beautiful properties. Um, it's in the Adirondack Finger Lakes in New York. It's just incredible. Um, and that was the first time Darren had ever heard like the gospel. And so I remember after the cross talk, um, like night five, we had cabin time and he, I could tell he was processing through things. He just has a hard commitment issue. His, his mom was addicted to drugs and, and put in jail at a young age. I um, mean, he lived with his dad who was um, pretty strict and Darren didn't have a lot of places to process things. And so Darren, he just, I could tell he needed to process. And so um, we, we left our cabin and we went and sat at this dock that kind of overlooked the lake. And I remember just having like a one-on-one with him in which he, like, he got to just process what was going on in his mind. Um, and I remember it was like the first time he really realized... Like, wow, do I really have a purpose? Like, does God really want to use me? Um, Because he had never thought through that before. Like, does my life actually mean something? Like, in all of my mess and all of my brokenness, could actually something good come from that? He was kind of shocked by the whole story of how Jesus came to love him and die for him uh, because he'd never seen that in his life with his family, with his friends, and his community. And I remember him just experiencing Jesus, and it was, it was that night on that dock in which he decided to follow Jesus. Um, and it was, it was incredible because, man, I loved, I loved being Darren's leader. I loved being around him. Um, and it, it was at that point that I realized um, he loved following me, and what a privilege and honor that was. And the reason I, I tell you that story is because we're gonna, we're gonna dive into um, the gospel of Matthew in Matthew 9, And we're going to see a story about this guy who, I mean, we know from his past life, had nothing to do with religion, did not think um, that somebody would want to use him for any religious purposes. Yet Jesus walks up to him and sees the value and purpose of his life and invites him into something greater. And so this is in Matthew 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector booth. Follow me, he told him. And so Matthew got up and followed him. It's such a a point blank way of like telling a story, right? I'm sure something else went on in this conversation, but I just love this. Jesus goes on from, um, he just healed a a man who was paralyzed and he sees a guy at a tax collector's booth, right? Typically, um, I don't know about you all, um, usually around tax season, it's kind of a little stressful. You got to collect all your stuff. No one's ever like really excited to go into a you know, to like a CPA office. I'm sorry if any of you do taxes, but, but at least for me, I'm not like, yeah, I can't wait to collect everything and then go back home because I haven't collected everything and then go back to my CPA and turn everything in like, and then go home and, and party because we did all like, <laughs> uh Maybe some of you are, but for me, I'm like, this is stressful and I kind of hate this. Um, I don't know, but for some reason, which we know Matthew becomes one of Jesus's 12 disciples Jesus sees Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth and he walks up to him. Walks up to a guy that most people pass by because this was a guy who would collect taxes and turn them into the Roman government. Uh, We we know from history that tax collectors would often use their power um, of collecting taxes to collect extra taxes um, and steal people's money. And he's he's a Jew. So he's stealing money from his own people He's stealing extra money from his own people and then he's giving it to the people that are oppressing his people. Like you want to talk about people that Jesus as a religious leader should be absolutely hating. Matthew, top of the list. (laughs) Um, Matthew is at the top of the list. Yet Jesus, God in all of his infinite wisdom, he knows that by interacting with this Matthew, I mean, he's going to be glorified and Matthew is going to find infinite life in Christ. And so Jesus walks up to this tax collector's booth and he says, just point blank, such a blunt way of saying, hey, follow me. Which I'm sure that might've been the first time in Matthew's life any religious person said anything nice to him. Like we don't know why or how Matthew got involved in the tax industry, but it wasn't a good tax industry. Like we don't know how or why often people get involved in drug industry. Um, it's usually not great. Usually there's a lot of trauma or bad things happening in a person's life that would leave them to that place of desperation. But kind of just think of Matthew as someone in that situation. Yeah. This is a dirty, dark profession that nobody glorifies. And yet Jesus walks up to him and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And so Matthew just writes in um, and Matthew got up and followed him. Not even I, not even like, yeah, I was holy and I had this huge moment of uh, Jesus changing my life. It's, he just says, so he got up and he followed him. I, just, I love that. It reminds me of Darren. <laughs> it reminds me of crazy Darren. And it says this, it, it quickly transitions because Matthew doesn't just get up and, and start following Jesus. It says this, uh, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I love this. Jesus doesn't just pull Matthew out and say, all right, check it out. Um, I'm holy. I'm Jesus. I'm God. Uh, So you need to leave everything that is imperfect. You need to start following me. You need to stop talking the way you do. You need to stop hanging out with those specific people because it might make me look bad. Um, No, Jesus says, hey, Matthew, um, I want to I throw a party at your house, and I want you to invite the typical people that you would invite. At the end of the year, once you collected, collected all of your taxes, uh, I'm sure you threw a party with, with all the people that all the Jews hated. Uh, why don't you do that right now, and I'm going to be there. That's such a foreign concept to me. But yet Jesus does it. And so Jesus invites his other disciples to Matthew's house, and they literally throw a party. I mean, they throw a party because Matthew had just been called, right, to be one of Jesus' disciples. But I don't know about you. Man, if my life was like an absolute wreck, and someone was like, hey, let's, let's have a party at your house, I'd probably be like, ah, let's go somewhere else. My house is a little bit of a wreck. Like, uh, it was Brielle's birthday party um, a few days before we left for Young Life Camp, and Brie and her um, incredible personality, she invited way too many people. Like we had snacked hands on like, hey, we're gonna invite this many people. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then she invited exponentially more than that. And it was great because then it rained. And so we had like 30 people in our small house with like tables lining from wall to wall. And there's just kids running around. It was awesome. Um, but it was one of those parties that I was like, this got out of hand really quick, <laughs> you know? And I'm sure like Jesus, He's at this party and I'm sure people are drinking, they're partying, there's probably prostitutes here. Like we know this about a tax collector party. Like there are probably people in here that would make you really uncomfortable if you showed up at a party and those types of people were there. It's like, should I I be at this type of place? I don't know. And yet Jesus decides to show up and not only show up, but he asked Matthew to do this, right? There's tax collectors and sinners. And then we get to verse 11. And it says this. When the Pharisees saw this, so the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, they're seeing this party. And it's not a holy party. It is a party uh, with tax tax collectors and sinners. And it says this. um, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I think it's a really profound question. Because at one point, the Pharisees had to have been invited at this party. And this, this isn't in scripture, but I can't help but to think, like Jesus probably went to the Pharisees, and he was probably like, hey, we're, uh, we're having a party. Why don't, why don't you all come? They're like, oh, yeah, whose party is it at? And Jesus is like, actually, let me, let me share the story with you. There's this guy I met. I actually invited him to be one of my disciples. The Pharisees are probably like, oh, one of your disciples? Uh, who, who is it? probably thinking of like, you know, a holy person, somebody who's like religious or upright. Jesus is like, oh, it's that Matthew dude, the the guy who used to collect taxes. taxes." And I'm sure the Pharisees were like, what do you mean that's your disciple? Yeah, that's my disciple. We're having a party at his house. Right, and so the Pharisees are there and they're just watching all of this happen. And they're thinking, I don't wanna be a part of that. I can't be a part of that. Because that might affect the way that people see me. That might affect the way um, their synagogue at the time saw them. That might affect the way they do their job. That might affect the way they interact with their family. Yet Jesus, he jumps straight into the middle of it. And he says, I don't care. I'm for those people. And in fact, they're the reason I came to this earth. And so the Pharisees don't actually go to Jesus. They go to Jesus' disciples to ask this question. And Jesus overhears them. You notice that they go to his disciples, yet Jesus hears them. And it says this in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus says this profound statement. It says, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus came, not for the healthy, but for the sick. And I think that's important. Um, It's important for us to realize even if we're in Christ, right? We are new creations. We are a part of God's family. We are declared righteous. The moment Jesus walks into our life, hallelujah, is right. Um, I'm so glad that I'm no longer, and if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you are no longer defined by your past, by your present, or by your future, but by Jesus now. Amen. Um, but Jesus is still in the middle of that. Um, and yet, if we ever forget that we're still sick and broken, man, what a shame it is. Because that's exactly who Jesus came for. He didn't just come once, but I mean, Jesus is still present. He is still here to sit in our brokenness, to sit in our shame, to sit in our sin, and to walk through life with us. I can't help but to think about the conversation with Darren. Man, Darren was a wreck. I mean, he had so many unprocessed, he had unprocessed trauma that he had gone through. Um, there were things that I, I literally could not fix in his life. I mean, there, there are counselors that I know who have incredible tools that could not fix about his life and about his past. But Darren didn't need that. He needed somebody to be with him, to be for him, and to constantly share Jesus with him. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not perfect, <laughs> especially at that time. I was in college. I was an idiot. I was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's not what Darren needed. Darren didn't need a perfect person. He needed a sick person that Jesus was using. True. And if we ever forget the fact that we are still sick and broken, we're missing out on so much of the gospel. So much of the gospel. So Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need it, a doctor. It's the sick, and that's who we are. Despite what we think about ourselves We are broken sinners saved by God's righteous hand. But then he says this really fascinating line. And this kind of goes back to um, how Matthew is just hyperlinked with all of these Old Testament passages. And this is out of Hosea chapter 6. Jesus says this But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So I want you all right now, um, we usually stop and do questions and stuff. We're not going to do that. We're going to stop, and I want you to find just a few people. Turn around, and I want you to look up Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is um, a prophet. Um, one second. If you don't know where Hosea is, that's okay. Um, just try and find Hosea and just turn to somebody and I want you to look up Hosea chapter six and I want you to read through it and look at Hosea chapter six, verse six. And I want you all to think about literally right now, what does that mean? So Hosea, an Old Testament prophet, um, God called him to marry a prostitute. I want you to think about that for a second. God wanted him and actually called him to marry a prostitute. To show Israel God's faithfulness, even despite, in this metaphor, um, Israel being a prostitute. Israel going to other gods, constantly forsaking Yahweh. And in the middle of all of that, Hosea um, uses this word from God. So I want you to literally turn around. um, Look at verses 1 through like 8 maybe. And uh, just talk about it. I'm going to give you a minute um, to go through this. It's okay to talk, I promise you. We're, we're in church. I don't have to be the only one who talks. Just turn around and just start discussing. Hosea chapter six, verses like one through eight. Look through it. Um, I should, probably should have like had Chris play some like background music so it's not super awkward. I can just keep talking randomly, but do you have any music you can play? <laughs> Wonderful, thanks. <laughs> we should have coordinated on that. <laughs> see, um, why does Jesus quote that? What did you all see in there? I know there are a lot of groups talking, so. Anyone want to share? Okay, I'll talk. Thank you. Yeah, Jesus calls them whitewashed graves and that's not beautiful language at all. So that's, yeah, that's, that's great. Anyone else want to share? <clears throat> I'd like two or three more people. That's good. That's good. Was someone else? So, yeah. I think about uh, Jesus would say things to the Pharisees that remind me of the, the, the lost space where the robot can say he does not compute. <laughs> does not compute right here. So, That's before, great. Before, Absolutely. Yeah, usually when a, a part of scripture is is quoted, Jesus, they know the front and back end. Like Pharisees knew scripture like the back of their hand. He, they knew what Jesus was really quote, quoting. So always, always go and look up, you know, before and after because that usually helps. That's that's great. Anyone else? Yeah. That's great. Can I kind of take along after that? Go for it. I think that that's absolutely what he's getting at. Like, I, I am in charge of all of these things. I just want the acknowledgement from you that I am Lord. And don't get me wrong. Like Jesus loved the sinners, but he also came to the Pharisees, too. Was there acknowledgement that he was Lord. They were prideful. And how many times does the Bible talk about humility? So I think that that's what he's saying. Like, I've come to have a relationship with you, but if you are so proud. The fact that I'm Lord, that I'm Lord over your life. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah, thank you all. Um, <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus quotes Hosea um, 6, verse 6, and if, if you're there and you see it, it says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then it, it goes on and it says, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Uh, that word mercy in, in verse 6, that word mercy in Hebrew is hesed, but you've really got a like hakalugi. So, everyone practice with me. Chesed. It's H E S E D. Everyone? Chesed. I'm, I still can't do it. I'm not Jewish. Uh, that word chesed, um, it, it's, it's a complicated word. But if you were to, to wrap up all of scripture into one word, um, chesed would be the word that really defines God and defines why Jesus came. It's a complicated word because every translation kind of uses it differently. There's a really um, good book. One of my professors wrote it. It's called And I Will Praise Him. And um, it's a book about the Psalms and a book about praise that I've kind of read. And it's helped me at least appreciate the Psalms more. I'm not a big Psalms guy. Um, I am now after reading this book and taking a class on the Psalms. But he says this about um, Hesed. Let me see it. It says, some of the many translations are mercy, merciful, goodness, loving kindness, merciful kindness, and the like. Uh, the, major dic- I'm sorry, the major dictionaries for Hebrew study go in two directions for the meaning of the word. One emphasizes the, the dimension of loyalty as the basic meaning of the word. Other, direction- or, sorry, other dictionaries stress the concept of mercy or love. And so this word, it really has two different directions. One is God's attribute of mercy, of like looking at somebody and doing something. Like it's not just love, because love is like often in our culture a feeling that you can have for somebody without actually doing something. Mercy is um, more a concept of actually helping them in, in the pain and struggle that they're going through. But on the other end, um, it's a word that describes Loyalty. Being loyal to someone, no matter what's happening in their life, no matter what they're going through. Uh, And this word is so complex that in English, we don't really have a definition for it. Like in our Bibles, sometimes you'll see mercy, sometimes you'll see loving kindness in which those translators just smush two words together because (laughs) there's really no one word to capture it. Um, And I I really like the word um, loyal love. Um, Because it's God's love for us, which we know is an action based off of Jesus's um, work on the cross. Um, And it's also his loyalty to his people. And so I I love the word loyal love. Um, That's my preference and it's it's becoming um, a little more prominent. But chesed is God's feeling of, of loyalty to you no matter what is going on in your life, no matter which way you're turning to. If you are a part of his family, You know, if Jesus' stamp of the Holy Spirit is in your life because of your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross and in his resurrection and and knowing that his kingdom is coming, that he is is truly Lord, he is truly king over all spiritual powers and authorities, God's loyal love for you will never run out. And it's this all-encompassing word in which Jesus is able to look at Matthew, he's able to look at this party, of absolutely broken people. And he's saying, yeah, those are my people. I've I've come here for them. And there's nothing you can do or say that will ever change my mind. There's nothing you could ever do or say that will change the way I feel about them because those are the people I'm about to die for. Jesus, when he he looks at you, it's not just a love of, wow, you're you're so good. Because man, me, I've considered myself a pretty good dad. uh, But on my worst days, I still get frustrated at my kids. I still act um, in unfatherly ways towards my children. Why? Because my love is not perfect towards them. My love is predicated on my own thoughts and feelings. God's loyal love is not predicated on thoughts or feelings. It's predicated on who he actually is as God. And that's really cool to think about. No matter what I do, no matter what mess I get into, no matter how I treat other people, um, if I go back to being a sinner you know, at this party, if I were to go back and be what other people would, would say would be a sinner, God's love for me doesn't change because it's who he is. It's his fundamental character. That's true. God is loyal and he is loving. And I love that because Jesus is quoting this verse because the Pharisees are not exhibiting loyal love. They don't have the capacity to look at a, a group of broken people and say, they're worth it. They don't have the capacity to look at a group of people and say, there's something there that we could use. And I think us as the church, if we ever get beyond that point of loyally loving our community, of looking at our community and saying, culture has changed way too much. I can't do anything. Like, I feel like I just can't change. Kids are just addicted to their phones way too much. I feel like there's nothing I can do, so I'm out. I would challenge you to say, is that God's characteristic of love? If not, I mean, we have to struggle and pray and continuously look to Jesus to to change our perspective on who people are and to see value where we don't see value. Because I guarantee if I was a part of this party, I don't know if I would look at them and think the same thing as the Pharisees. It's easy to be like, oh, those stupid Pharisees, they didn't get it. Um, Yet day by day, I don't get it either. And I think this message of Jesus is, hey, go and learn what this means is genuinely a challenge to us, not just the Pharisees of, hey, when you leave these doors, I challenge you to go and learn what this means. That God loyally loves us. Now go and do that to the world. That's a huge challenge. I don't know if I I can bear on my own but the beauty of that is we're not supposed to. That's the purpose of church and community and family is that we do it together. And that's the reason why Jesus died for his his church was so that we could do it together. We are incapable on our own of hesed. It is a communal. God is Trinity three in one. If if God has a community, I, I think we do too. We need one as well. We need to bear the weight of being unable to love people with each other and relying on the power of Jesus. And so I just want to leave you with a few questions um, before we close um, that are important to think about. First, in in looking at the person of Matthew, it's, it's so important. I'm telling you, it is so important that Jesus pauses and he notices Matthew because a, a huge question is, do you think in the mess that you're in, Jesus pauses and notices you? When I'm in my, my darkest moments, when I feel like, man, I'm, I'm just a mess, I'm not doing it right, uh, work isn't great, I'm not fundraising the way I'm supposed to, I'm not telling kids about Jesus in the way that I think I'm supposed to, in the way, whatever it may be, do, do I really believe that Jesus still pauses and notices me? And do you believe that if you were at a table, Jesus would pause and notice you? I know he does. And I know he always will. Why? Because his love for you is loyal and it's not predicated on who you are or what you do. And second, it's simply are you willing to go and learn? Are you willing to leave these doors? We talk about in our church, knowing your three, the three people that you are praying and discipling for or discipling. Do you have a desire to go and learn? That God desires mercy and not sacrifice. That God desires for you to look at this community and he doesn't really care what you leave in that offering plate. I mean, that that is an issue of discipleship and growing in Christ, absolutely. But if you write a $1 check or a million dollar check God's not impressed. Are you loving people so well that they're seeing there's something different about you? That is what Jesus is looking to his followers for. God doesn't care if you're up here preaching or not. I could go home and be an absolute failure of a father, absolute failure as a husband. Um, and God doesn't care about this right here. He cares about my loyal love towards my family and the people he's put in my life. Are you willing to walk outside of these doors And wrestle with that. I pray that we would as a community, uh, that we would see the Matthews in this world and look at them and know God can do something incredible. He did it with them. He did it with me, and I know he's done it with us. So let me go ahead and and pray, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. Uh, Father, I thank you that you genuinely deserve um, our praise because of who you are, God, that you are you are loyal to us in ways that I would never be loyal to myself. Um, I am so quick to get angry, um, God. When we know that you're slow to angry, I know that um, my love is so limited when you are abounding in loyal love. I know that I'm so quick to jump ship when things don't go my way or um, they get too difficult, and I know that, man, in your in your gospels, you are constantly in the ship as as a person of peace, sitting and waiting to calm a storm. Jesus, I pray that you would um, give us eyes to see Matthews in our community that are just dying for someone to walk up to them and say, hey, I wanna, I wanna be at your house and I wanna change your life. God, there are Matthews dying <laughs> to hear about your gospel, to hear about the person of Jesus and the work of, of the Spirit in their life. Their need to know God, that you want to recreate them into a person that they deserve to be. God, that you want to invite people into your family and not just to come to church and to do good things, God, but to experience uh, your presence and to be a part of a family that is supposed to exhibit loyal love. Father, so I I thank you for this time. I thank you for this conversation. I thank you um, for Hosea and the fact that he married a prostitute so that we could even have a glimpse of what your loyal love would be. I can't imagine that calling. Father, so I thank you for today that it is good. And no matter what we think, leaving this building, uh, you will always love us, uh, God. But I I pray that we would continue to pursue you and your love uh, and the love you call us to have for our communities. Jesus, we pray this um, in your incredible name, amen. Um, Y'all, we're gonna move into a time of communion. a time in which Jesus invites us to think about how we are actually a part of this family, not just here in Elkins, but a, a, a part of the church universal. Um, it is a meal with Jesus, a meal as a family that we get to have in which we know and acknowledge that, man, those who are declared righteous, we are righteous indeed. That we have become sons and daughters of the most high God and nothing can change from that. So before we take this meal, I wanna just give you all a chance. Um, We're we're called to not come to this meal in an unworthy manner. And Bryce often says that. That doesn't mean if you've sinned uh, a million times this morning or got into a a fight with your spouse, great. I hope you did because that gives you a chance to right now look at them in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And so I wanna challenge you before we we come to this meal um, to make your heart right with God or to make... Um, a relationship right now, right with you um, and someone and God. I'm gonna pass this out and then, um, are we gonna sing a song first? After, okay. They're gonna sing a song while I pass these out, and uh, and then we're gonna take communion.